You are now listening to the Rogue Social Worker Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Kate, uh, documenting the Kind Works story. And today I want to talk about culture, um, because it is the backbone of every system, uh, whether, whether you're talking about a private agency, uh, a non-profit, a for-profit, uh, government, uh, you know, executive branch type of system, any, any group of people that comes together, uh, usually, you know, under the leadership of a handful or, or one or two or three people, um, who, who take the lead. So, and, and it's super important because I think it's, it's one of the reasons that the agency that I most recently left, I've, I've quit so many jobs and I can't think of a more important reason why, uh, people leave. Uh, it's not salary. I can tell you that at least in the nonprofit world, you know what you're getting into in the nonprofit world. You know you're not going to be a millionaire. Um, and that is a conversation for another day about compensation because um, that, that's a whole other conversation in itself. Um, but it's not the money. You know, a lot of the times these places realize that they need to give decent benefits, decent vacation packages, some of them, not all of them, um, and, and stuff like that, but benefits, it does not equal a quality culture, um, benefits does not equal, um, this is how we do things around here, or we don't do that around here. Or, so that's, that's basically what I, what I want to talk about is, what is culture? Um, why do like 9.5 out of 10 agencies or groups of people get it wrong? Um, and I, I would venture to say that it starts with leadership. And this is inextricable from leadership. This is completely dependent on leadership, but it is not sufficient um, to just have a good leader because ultimately the culture is going to be a back and forth between the leader and the group. So what comes in then, if it's not just the leader, is who are you hiring? So are you hiring people, people who are toxic to the culture? Are you hiring people uh, for other reasons that you think are more important than culture? Um, ultimately, and you know, I, this is why I love uh, Gary Vee because he is not afraid to talk about um, culture and, and its importance to, I mean, ultimately just a successful business. I mean, sure, if you want short-term profits, I was listening to a Jim and Marjorie on Boston Public Radio last night, and they were talking about how the airlines, you know, are basically uh, at the behest of the Wall Street um, executives that um, invest in the airlines. Um, these executives are demanding 
bigger profit margins at any cost. Well, so when, when the, that cost is customer service and your relationship with the people you serve, um, you know, sure in the short term, you may hit that mark for profit. The reason the airline industry is so uh, easy to do this in, it's sort of like the cable company, where there's just a handful of them, there's not a lot of competition. Um, you know, this is this is where I'm kind of a, a conservative when it comes to financial stuff and the free market, is that, you know, when I go shopping for, I don't know, say, a phone or a computer or uh, a brand of food that I like or you know so those brands are are in such competition and they have they have so many different uh, companies to compete with that they are gonna do everything to put that customer first because they know that customer is the backbone of ultimately the success and the life of their business so because these airlines don't have a ton of competition they're just they just don't give a fuck about the customer experience, the relationship they have with the people who are constantly flying. So many more people are flying now than used to. But anyway, so I thought it was a really interesting conversation with Jim and Marjorie. You should look them up, Boston Public Radio. Um, so culture starts with leadership. Next is hiring. Um, and I had an interesting uh, experience with culture. It was it was opposed to any other experience I think I've ever had. And every every experience is unique when it comes to leadership. Um, but this one in particular was interesting because it it wasn't your typical toxic culture of um, you know just straight up bullying and. Um, I mean, there was a little bit of that, but it was weird, um, because the majority of the, of the bad culture was a fear of confrontation. And we've had, at this agency, we had, um, I don't know, seven out of ten employees on this team, on this particular team, that had been working together for a long period of time. We were all you know, pretty accustomed to each other. Uh, there had been a good culture in the past, but there was a change in leadership. So the new leaders were, um, you know, had flaws just like everybody else. But the difference was they were afraid to confront those uh, flaws and um, take their employees' concerns seriously. Um, all, I think, what, what appeared to be from a fear of confrontation and a fear of admitting when you're wrong. And um, I guess it's really not that different from other agencies. It just appeared different because the people who were in charge were ultra, ultra nice. Not kind, nice. And the reason I, I, I use the word nice instead of kind is because kindness, uh, at least from what, what I understand it to be, is is uh, treating people justly, treating people fairly with uh, positivity and compassion, but at the same time being honest and doing
doing it in a tactful way, but doing it uh, head on and without any any hesitation or fear. So, but these guys were nice. They were um, they had excuses for everything. Oh, everything's gonna be okay though. Everything's gonna work out fine. Um, you know, and and anytime you you got close to uh, something that they might not be doing so great no matter how the case managers, the people under them approached it, which says a lot. The fact that we were even able to speak up about our concerns says so much about the culture that they had already created in the, the former uh, leadership. So once that leader left, now everybody's like scratching their head. Like I thought, you know, I knew these people. I thought I knew this culture. But now I ask for things from my leaders and they don't deliver or um, my supervision is just completely fruitless or for me personally it was I just didn't have anything to do. I had, they didn't organize schedules very well. And um, we tried to say this tactfully to them um, but they were so scared of fucking up that... um, they just, it was like they plugged their ears and closed their eyes and went la 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 and nothing ever changed. I mean, the rare times that they sort of conceded, you know, that they weren't perfect and and that things needed to improve, uh, even then, things did not change. And um, it was just a shame because they, ha- you know, when you have a good culture, you gotta perpetuate it, you gotta feed it, you gotta water it. Um, you gotta put gas in the tank, and you, uh, just seeing that get thrown away was so disappointing and frustrating, um, and I sort of lit a fire on the way out, um, which, you know, I guess is neither here nor there, I don't know how it is now, I'm still, I still gotta check in with the folks that, um, sort of my spies on the inside but um yeah it was just really disappointing to see I that I went back because of the culture and I stayed there for nine months and not one out of the nine months was I really truly um was I was I believing that that culture was still there that good culture where we had open honest dialogue where everybody treated each other with respect, um, where everybody's concerns were taken seriously, and uh, we were allowed and and encouraged to be creative and be, um, you know, I think case managers, after you've done this for so many years, you get a lot of great ideas. You get a lot of creative ideas on how to help people one-to-one. And if you're not cultivating a culture that um, that encourages that, you know, you're gonna have you're gonna have some burnt out case managers, and um, and when you when you accentuate their uh, strengths and their creativity, you know, it doesn't take that much. Just when you just when you put an emphasis on that and you give and you empower people to do their job well, all of a sudden they have pride in their job. They have pride in their work. They they have ownership of it, and that's what that's what you want. 
so we went from having that, you know, an almost perfect culture to a culture that was, you know, it, it just so easily slipped into the way every other culture, almost every other culture I've seen uh, slips into. So uh, that was that. And um, I'm trying to think, let me go through a couple of other examples for you. Um, I guess, you know, we, we maintained a really good culture at the Providence Center for the two and a half years that I was there. We took a team that had really intelligent, really compassionate, really hardworking people on it. Um, and we sort of, I mean, for lack of a better term, we guerrillaed that team. It was the whole Mace team. It was run by uh, an imbecile who did not know anything about harm reduction or housing first. And, um, you know, supposedly that's what we got this money for. Supposedly that's what we, we got the grant for. It was like one and a half million dollars over three years. And so I, uh, I was there with some really awesome people and, and we were able to sort of insulate ourselves from the bigger culture of the Providence Center that I don't remember how many employees the Providence Center has, but it's a 30, or at the time it was a $31 million a year agency. So they had, you know, needless to say, a lot of employees, a lot of different programs. Um, but the leadership was so out of touch and it was basically like a machine bureaucracy where they're just pumping out human service hamburgers on a conveyor belt um, and they wanted their sticky little slimy fingers up in every uh, every new and hot practice um, every facet of uh, mental health and substance abuse treatment and um, without without perfecting or without improving the uh, services that they already had so we we knew this culture we knew we would have to put up with it um, when we went there and when I say we it was me and John um, an outreach worker that I had become close to at the agency prior uh, so this is back in 2012 I want to say this is like 2012 to 2015 or so ish um, and so I followed him to the Providence Center because oh, they have all these resources and it's so funny because now I know that it doesn't matter how many resources you have um, if those resources are mismanaged or there's a toxic culture uh, with the people who are delivering those services and resources, um, you might as well not have them at all. Or you might as well just throw like 75, 80% of those services out the window, um, you know, because it's like 25 or 20% of the people within the system still have a brain and a heart and are, are brave enough to, um, to basically, uh, reject the, the status quo and the culture of the agency and say, yeah, I know this place fucking sucks, but 
I'm here, I'm trying to change it. So you still have that small percentage of people. I mean, that's super, I, and I'm being generous when I say 75, 80%, um, you know, of the people <laughs> have been corrupted and like 25 or 20% or, uh, of people still have their dignity. Um, you know, I'm being generous because I really think it's more like 90, 90% 90 and 10% of people still have their dignity, 90% of the agency has fallen in line with the culture. So we knew, you know, what we were getting into, but home base, we we're a team of like, at times I think we were five or six people, um, including a doctor, psychiatrist, um, and, and we were jamming for like two years. So for the first, I think, five or six months, we had, uh, we had this terrible manager who we complained enough and, and luckily we had a director who gave a shit about uh, how we were doing and gave a shit about homelessness and housing. So she listened to us and she removed, she got this manager removed or demoted, I guess. I think for a time she was demoted. But, you know, this woman was, uh, our manager had been like lying on her mileage sheets and just was not, like knew nothing about the actual program that we were supposed to be implementing. All, all that I could tell from her, like and why she got promoted was because um, she got her paperwork in on time. But she was a horrible writer. And like, you know, when you're documenting the progress of people's lives, you kind of have to be coherent in your writing kind of have to write so that when a stranger looks at it they know what's going on in this person's life in the snapshot of this person's life and um you know she just had nothing no people skills she could barely look people in the eye um I guess they thought she'd be a good fit because she was young and she had tattoos it just makes me sick to my stomach like there was there was just no need to have her in any sort of leadership position, um, especially not on our team, because we were kind of implementing a radical um, philosophy and a radical model of harm reduction. So um, she was like telling her employees that they should be basically scolding uh, their clients for having beer in their apartments. I'm like, do you even know what harm reduction is? What housing first is? Like, alcohol is a legal substance. You can't tell people that they can't have alcohol in their apartment. Um, so, but basically the moral of, of what I'm saying uh, in this time in my, uh, the story that I'm telling about this time in my life is that we were able to insulate ourselves. It was a beautiful two years. Um, you know, we were a dynamic team, we were full of energy, we had a great chemistry, um, we were able to be honest with each other and have each other's backs, and uh, trust, you know, trust goes a long way, like true trust. Um, when I know I can call on any of my coworkers to step up and take a client to a doctor's appointment because I'm double booked, you know, or I, you know, my coworkers trust me to take one time I, I had to take uh, 
because I'm a cat person, so um, I was called on to do many cat duties. And I took one of my coworkers' uh, clients to the vet with his cat to get the cat <laughs> shaved because the cat had like tons of mats all over it. It was a very sweet cat. It was like a long-haired black cat, um, very, very sweet, vocal, like real friendly-like. And um, yeah, so, so we just had a lot of fun. Uh, we loved our clients. We made good decisions and, uh, about who was a priority for housing. You know, we weighed, we, we had these discussions that were like really ahead of the times in terms of like a, a lot of people get housed quickly because of politics, because of the optics. And we knew, at least that's, I think we all knew, that's what I advocated for, uh, that it isn't all about politics and it isn't all about optics. It's about housing the people who are most at risk, who are most likely going to die on the street. And this was before the VI, the Vulnerability Index. This was 2013, you know, the, the Vulnerability Index scale had just come, uh, has just come out in the last couple of years. Um, but this was, this was four or five years ago. So we were, we were doing that. We were prioritizing people who are most likely gonna die. And also people who, uh, you know, were, were on such a good, positive track that housing would just, would just uh, sort of catapult them, you know, be used as a trampoline. And because we knew that people, uh, we weren't going to be able to house everybody. So we had to make these decisions. We had to triage people. And I think we did a really good job weighing um you know, between people who had been waiting the longest and people who were most likely going to die on the street soon. But anyway, so that was a really another exa example of really good culture. We were able to insulate ourselves for those couple of years. Unfortunately, um, we had two uh, two people have big changes in their life. One person, uh, her brother, died. And she had to take a couple months off, of course, um, but it sort of disrupted the uh, vibe and the energy, unfortunately. And I mean, it's not surprising that that happened. Um, and she did come back and it was fine. But then, I think it was almost right after that, we found out that another one of our team members was going to be moving to Switzerland. So... The vibe was, was definitely disrupted. Um, and then ultimately the last straw for me was, um, you know, I think somebody who's arguably one of the weakest people on the team was promoted uh, into a managerial position or I guess a assistant manager um, for the same reasons that Kim, uh, former manager had been put in that position to be a bean counter to get paperwork in on time to make us nice little soldiers um, obeying the rules and getting all of our documentation in on time which you know and which reminds me all of this is connected so when your culture prioritizes um, counting 
hours counting face-to-face time, documenting stuff. And I get that that's a necessary step, but it just put, it, it shows how much culture is then uh, connected to funding. Because why, why do we spend half of our time documenting? Why am I getting flack for, um, you know, trying to fit 60 hours of work into a 35 or 40 hour work week? Um, because the documentation is so burdensome and so cumbersome uh, and so unnecessary. And now, so, so you know, we have these, these funding restrictions and funding requirements to do this documentation, but it is forced, uh, you know, it forces you to hire people who aren't good for these, these leadership positions um, in like a million other ways, but the only thing they're good for is meeting funding requirements. And if that's what you're hiring on, then you better be prepared to go fucking down. Like, you better be prepared to crash this ship into the shore. Because, uh, you know, if that's what you base your leadership uh, positions on, you know, meeting documentation requirements and funding requirements that are completely unnecessary and cumbersome, um, you better be ready to go down. That's, That's that. So that was like the last straw for me. Um, and, and another good example of, uh, uh, you know, a real blow to the culture of our, of our team was that our supervisor, our new supervisor, I told you the other one got, got moved over to another program, but our new supervisor who usually, you know, made pretty good instinctive decisions, um, I guess was uh, under the the pressure of wanting to hire um, a semi-therapist. I don't want to call, I can't call her a therapist because she was so awful. But she uh, felt pressured to hire somebody quickly that she did not consult the rest of the team on this. And my, my best guess as to why she thought this person would be okay was, again, because she was young and she seemed like cool, I guess, but she had a shitty fucking attitude, and I, I, I just didn't get it. Like she didn't understand housing first. She had an attitude about working with older people. Um, basically, like you could tell that she didn't really think that they were gonna change. She had no energy or enthusiasm in. Uh, in her work. She kind of had a bad attitude about everybody and um, sort of pessimistic. And you have to be like undyingly optimistic to work in uh, the housing and homelessness field. And just, you know, the best advice that I, that I got upon being hired at my first job out of uh, my bachelor's program was these people are gonna fall down time and time time again and you have to pick them up with the same enthusiasm the fifth time as you did the first time you have to believe in them when they don't believe in themselves and I believe that I absolutely believe that because I don't think it's ever too late for people to turn their lives around and to really uh you know achieve their their dreams or some form of their dreams that 
they haven't in the first 40 or 50 or 60 years of their life. So, um, but she didn't have that attitude. This person that was hired without consulting the team, um, and I, yeah, I guess it was because she seemed young and hip and cool, but she just wasn't very bright. She wasn't very psyched about about serving these folks. Like, it was an honor to serve them. And if you don't think it's a fucking honor, like, get the fuck out. Um, you know, that's kind of kind of my opinion on it. Um, but yeah, those are two really good examples of an agency or a team going south due to culture change. And you can see all the different decisions uh, made by leadership. It's not all of them. Uh, you know, things happen. Things do happen. They, you know, people move, people leave uh, the team. But uh, it is up to the leader a lot of the times. <coughs> to uh, to keep that team on the same track um, that was working for that team. Because every team is going to be different. You know, every culture doesn't have to be the same. Um, but once you figure out the, uh, the groove that works for that team, you know, obviously it has to be positive. It can't be like shitting on your clients as our culture, but, um, but no, it has to, you know, you have to keep it alive and keep it fed and keep it watered and growing, keep the gas in the tank, feed it. Uh, and it's a constant, you know, maintenance process of, like, listening. You know, another good thing I've, I've uh, heard along the way is that leaders listen first, talk last. Um, and when I say talk last, I don't mean, like, oh, I have the last word. I'm fucking um, tyrannical, you know, dictator. Um, even if that's the reality, even if you are in sort of a dictator role, um, I really like when Gary Vee uses the term moldable dictatorship. So yes, of course, somebody has to be at the top. Somebody started the company. Somebody is going to make the end decision. But if that person is arrogant and, um, inflexible and, um, you know, unwilling to see their own flaws or unwilling to make mistakes for that matter. If you try and be a perfectionist, you're doomed to fail because, you know, there is nobody who's going to make all the right decisions. New situations arise every day with new circumstances and, um, you know, you can't be afraid of any of that stuff. You can't be afraid to have an honest conversation with your staff. Um, you know, even if the rest of the agency is um, <clears throat> flat, the organizational structure is flat. So you have virtually no leaders. You have like self-managed teams. That's how I, that's how I envision my company in the future is self-managed teams. But ultimately, you can't avoid that. Somebody has to be the leader, and somebody has to make the executive decisions. Um, even if those decisions aren't perfect. So, but, but I guess what I'm saying is, you know, you can't avoid having an actual leader, but what you can avoid is 
that leader being a fucking dipshit and being arrogant and too uh, too scared and too self-centered to actually hear the truth from their employees because that's those are the experts just like we say you know in, in human services a lot of the time we say the clients are the experts of their own experience they're going to be the experts of of their recovery or whatever they're trying to achieve um you know the people on the ground the case managers doing the face-to-face -face services are the experts with their clients so uh treating them any differently i think is a big mistake um you know, listening has to come first. Um, you know, unsolicited advice is unnecessary. <clears throat> I think if, you know, as having been a case manager for many years, um, if I want your advice, I'll ask for it. But otherwise, um, I'm going to, uh, you know, ask for help when I need it. And uh, do what you ask me to do because I'm a good team member and I'm going to be honest about my concerns. So, you know, I think that we can't forget where we came from. If you are put into a leadership position, can't forget where you came from. Can't forget that you were a case manager, that there was a time when some fucking dickhead thought they knew more than you and thought that being a leader meant giving unsolicited advice about your client that they've met like twice okay so don't forget about that you don't want to be that guy you don't want to be that person so um i guess that's all i have for now about culture i'll turn it back on um i think of anything else